Let's take our Bibles again and turn to the book of John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, We're going to begin or look at just verse 21 again. John chapter 13. Now again, this is a message that we began a couple of weeks back and we're going to go ahead and finish it up tonight, I trust. John chapter 13. In verse 21, we read, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. One of you shall betray me. Of course, this passage takes place before the death of Jesus Christ. And of course, you and I know that he's referring to none other than Judas Iscariot. He's one of the twelve disciples, of course, but... We also remember from our Sunday school lessons that he was a betrayer of Jesus Christ. Too often we find ourselves possibly saying, I would never betray the Lord Jesus Christ. That would never be me. But then again, we noted in our introduction the last few weeks that Demas, one of Paul's companions, his fellow laborers, his co-worker, did exactly that. In a sense, he betrayed the Lord or he forsook the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that he did that or forsook Paul and also the Lord having loved this present world. Love of the world is unfortunately the reason why a man or a woman will forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how faithful one may seem. If the love of the world begins to take root in our life and in our heart, then we are destined and we are bound to ultimately forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a reality of the ministry. It's a reality of life. So when we consider Demas, this beloved companion of Paul's, this great man of God, I'm sure, at one point, this faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was able to ultimately forsake the Apostle, the work of God, and even the Lord Jesus Christ, having loved this present world, then you and I ought to take heed. It ought to be our great concern that we never allow the world to get a grip on our heart. That we never allow the world to take root in our life. For if it does, we too will be a casualty, even a fatality, in the work of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul the Apostle says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The reality, once again, is that we are all prone to failure and faulting. We are all able to fall in this thing called the Christian life. The moment you believe that you are no longer prone to it is the moment that the devil has a real shot at you. I mean, there's a bullseye on you all the time. As a child of God, He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to render you useless for the work and the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly enough, we allow so many things to come between us and our Lord. And yet, when you boil them all down, they can be boiled into this simple phrase, having loved this present world. 
So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest it by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What about you tonight? You find yourself being drawn away? We asked it every week over the last two weeks, but in all honesty, I know I am drawn away at times. I know there's temptations and there's things in the world that seem to kind of grab my attention. If I'm not careful, I can allow my mind to wander. I can allow myself to begin to think, what would it be like not to be bound so much or not to be so confined by the Christian life? To have freedom maybe to go or to do as I please instead of as my master commands or demands. What would it be like not to actually feel like I need to be in God's house, to actually be able to stay home or to, to take care of the lawn or to work the extra hours or to do that extra activity? Maybe, maybe even invest my finances in my own hobbies or my, a new car or maybe a brand new house or be able to just throw money in this direction rather than invest it in the work of God in eternity. <clears throat> Those are dangerous thoughts. Those thoughts lead to having loved this present world. Now, there's nothing wrong with having ambition and desire and wanting some things that are better for you and your family, but be very careful because God says we're to be content in whatsoever state we are. Therefore, you better be very careful because the devil's good at capturing our attention, redirecting our focus, and getting us on a path that leads to the life of a castaway. We complicate the Christian life. We make it so difficult sometimes. But it's really not that difficult. Over the last few weeks, we noted uh, just a couple of thoughts that I shared. Number one, if we want to just keep it simple, we can boil it down to basically three thoughts. One, we must look and listen to Him. Look and listen to Him. And we noted those two aspects. Then we said, we must long and we must live for Him. And today, I want to begin the last portion, or the last phrase, we must love and labor with Him. Love and labor with Him. I didn't say for Him, I said with Him. There's a difference. So tonight, let's go ahead and go to the throne of grace. We'll spend just a few moments and we'll embellish somewhat on those, that simple thought. Father, we thank you now for this time together. It is our great privilege, as I said, Lord, to gather here. <clears throat> Lord, it's, it's been good today to spend time with you. And Lord, tonight, as we have another opportunity now to spend time with you, we ask, Father, that you would be magnified and glorified. You're, you deserve it. Father, we, we really are nothing without you. You are to be all in all. You're not just to be a part of our life, even a big part. You're to be our life. And so, Lord, tonight, help us, Lord, as we consider these truths. May we be encouraged and uplifted. May we be strengthened and exhorted. And Father, may you be glorified in what will be said and ultimately what will be done in each life represented here. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> We must love and labor with Him. 
First of all, love. You know, we all understand that we're to love the Lord, don't we? I mean, I don't believe there'd be anybody in the crowd that would stand up and say, well, preacher, I think you're taking that, you're going a little overboard with that loving Jesus thing. No, we all know the verses. It says in Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Without doubt, we're commanded and we're exhorted to love the Lord God with all our heart. And so none of us in the room would dispute that. We wouldn't debate it. We would simply accept it and say, that's correct. That's right. I believe it. The Word of God teaches it. I believe it. It's there. Right there it is in black and white. No problem with that. But still, there's much more required of us in the Christian life. It doesn't end with simply loving God. We not only, we're not only to love Him but we're to love with Him. To love with Him. <clears throat> this is where it gets difficult in the Christian life. It's one thing to say I have to love a God who's perfect, holy, righteous, and always has my best interest at heart. But then to love with Him means that we're going to have to love some things that aren't quite that perfect. And it becomes a little more difficult. In John 15, 9, Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. See, your love is not sufficient to fulfill the command and requirement of God for His children. You do not have the love in you to accomplish the biblical mandate. You can't do it. Someone says, I really, I have a hard time loving certain people. Welcome to the human race. We all do. As a matter of fact, you can't love everybody in the human You can't do it. You're lucky if you can love your wife and husband the way you should. And the truth is, you can't love them the way God intended without His love. See, we're to love the sinner. I mean, it's one thing to be told I have to love God, but to love sinners? In John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. God's love was directed toward sinners, wasn't it? I think of the woman at the well. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 3 through 7, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must, he says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Well, he had, a, he had an appointment to make, to, 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 to keep. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied but with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now we can take the time to read the rest of the chapter, but you probably know what transpired and took place. The reality was is that Jesus went out of his way in order to meet with this woman who was certainly considered a sinner. She had a number of husbands, she had a number of divorces, she had a number of men that she had been with, but the reality was is that Jesus Christ loved sinners. 
Now, it's easy to love God. It's easy to say, okay, he's perfect. He has my best interest at heart. He's always going to do the right thing. He never lies to me. He never cheats. He never steals. He never deceives me. He's always going to do the right thing. Well, that's easy to love. But God says it's not enough to just love him. He says you've got to love with him. And that means you have to love sinners like he loves sinners through and with his love, the way he loves them, and only with his love. See, you don't have the depth of love in you. And you think you do sometimes. You think, oh, I'm such a loving person. No, you're not. You're not a loving person and neither am I. In your flesh, there's nothing good about you. There's nothing good about me. The reality is today is that you don't have the propensity of love that it takes to love the sinner the way God intends us to love that sinner. You don't have the ability to love that woman at the well the way Jesus did unless it's His love that you're utilizing and demonstrating. No wonder we can't get people to be a witness in the world. No wonder it's difficult to get people to express their love for others because they don't really have it. And unless they're filled with the Spirit of God and have the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, they do not express and demonstrate His love. Because, see, if you don't have His love, you can't love people the way God intended. You're trying to love people that are unlovable. You're trying to love people like you. Am I right? Hey, listen, you know your heart and I know mine. We can deny deny it. We can try to appease our conscience. We can somehow try to dismiss our shortcomings. But the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You ought to thank God if there's somebody that actually loves you. Because you don't deserve it. And neither do I. You know, we say things like, you deserve the best husband in the world. No, you deserve hell. You know why we have such problems in the Christian life today? Because our expectations are completely unscriptural. They really are. We somehow think God owes us the world. And since He doesn't give us the world, we go after it ourselves. He don't owe us the world. You ought to thank God that He doesn't allow you to have that world. There's nothing good in that world for you. It'll eat you up and spit you out. Thank God for a God that says to me that that you don't need that because it'll only ruin you. It'll destroy you. I'm trying to protect you. We have this inflated view of ourselves. We think that we're really good and godly. That we love people. But let them hurt you. Let them hurt a loved one of yours. See how much you love. Jesus loved the unlovable. See, you cannot love mankind, especially the sinner, unless you are loving with His love. You've got to love with Him. Not in spite of him or without him. And so do I. God's love was directed. That woman at the well, there was nothing good. When those disciples came back and they saw him talking to her, they were shocked. Oh oh my. Oh, I hope that sin doesn't rub off. But Jesus saw things a little differently. He had a different level of love and he had a different, different kind of love. I think it was Zacchaeus. 
What a great day when he come walking down through town and Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. Zacchaeus was a publican. He's stealing money from his own people, the Israelites. And then old Jesus, he just says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I need to go to your house and eat something. It's interesting to me because when it's all said and done, one of the final verses in verse 7 says, And when they saw it, talking about the, the leaders of the, the Israelites and maybe some of the people, when they saw it, you know, Jesus at supper with all those people, they, they all murmured saying, that, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Now see, they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have done that. I'm sure they love their husbands and they love their wives and they love their families. I'm sure they loved as much as I can love my family, my loved ones, my friends, those people that are good to me. But they couldn't love the sinner because they didn't have the love of Christ in them. You can't love a sinner the way God intends you to love a sinner unless you are loving with His love. It won't be your love, it'll be His. God's love for sinners cannot be better understood than by you and I who have experienced His mercy and grace firsthand, though. Romans 8, 5, 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As a matter of fact, we love Him simply because He first loved us. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, We love Him because He first loved us. And listen, that great love was bestowed and demonstrated on our behalf. That same love is to be shared with others liberally. While he was instructing the disciples, the Lord reminded them of their duty and responsibility to both God and to man. When he said in Matthew 22, 37-39, Jesus said, said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Amen, preacher. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How are you supposed to do that? You just bought a brand new John Deere tractor. And you're out there looking out the back window, and you see your neighbor's tractor Quit right in the middle of the job. He's over there trying to start it. You say, hey, you out of gas? I got some gas. No. Got plenty of gas. Let me take a look at it for you. Yeah, don't look good. I saw you just bought a brand new John Deere. Oh, that thing? Huh. <laughs> Love your neighbor as what? Wow. You may not want him to run your John Deere, but you may want to take a ride on your John Deere and finish it. I mean, you know, well, that's different. Okay, so if that was your daddy's mower and it broke down, would you mow his grass? Or would you say, sorry, Dad, you're out of luck, Jack. Well, it's different. I love my dad. It's, that's my point. Exactly. See, you, you can't... You say, but what if, what if I was over there riding in his yard? You know, those kids of his, you know, they leave stuff in the yard all the time. Well, then walk the yard. 
But let me ask you something. Is loving... Do you, do you think God would let your mower get broken and not bless you anyway? I mean, you think about it. Can you honestly outgive God? You know, we always think about that with just money. But how in the world do you outgive God? I don't care if it's letting somebody borrow your John Deere. So what if they stole it? Well, God will give you another one then probably. I've watched God do miraculous things. When all of a sudden everything you have is His and you say, I'm going to love with your love, not mine. You'll be amazed what God will do in your life. What He'll do for you in your life. It's amazing. But there's certain things that we just don't give up. The truth is, just the way it is, I guess. Hey, there's no debate again that we're to love God, is there? But this passage settles our responsibility to love all mankind, including the sinner. Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. You know, because I knew somebody was going to say, Well, you know that's the Old Testament you just read. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're smart. You do. You're pretty good. You're good. See, you got that figured out. But wait a second, got another one. Galatians 5.14, long after that law had been put aside and Jesus had established the New Testament and grace, he said, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Okay, that, that may have been part of that Old Testament, but God said, I just want to make sure it just kind of transcends the Old Testament, walks right on into the New. Even as Christ's love was directed towards sinners, ours ought to be as well. And you know what? It's not always easy to love sinners. They, don't, they let you down sometimes. You know how it is. You're out there knocking doors. You're visiting people, and they're telling you they're going to come to church. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've been praying that. I can't believe you stopped at my house today. This is unbelievable. I've been thinking about this. And you take them and through the Word of God and they get gloriously saved. And you're excited and you come back skipping on cloud nine and you say, God gave us a soul. Praise God. You fill out the card. You give the testimony slip. You're excited. And they're coming Sunday. You call them Saturday. Now you're coming, right? We're looking forward to seeing you. I'll be waiting for you out there in the foyer. And they say, yep. <laughs> Sunday morning, you're standing out in the foyer. The music starts to play. I'm supposed to be up in choir. I've got to get out of here. You tell somebody out there that's standing at the wellness center, hey, I'm waiting on this young lady or this young guy. He's supposed to be here. If he shows up and somebody drags in a little late, make sure their name's John. Their name's John. And you run on up, get in choir where you belong. And then you find out later they never showed up. And you go, that dirty dog. That no good liar. Now, you wouldn't be that bold to say that out loud, but you may think it. I would never tell somebody I'd be somewhere and not be there. Let me ask your kids that. You know where I'm going, though. Hey, wait a second. Where's that love? Are we really upset because they didn't keep their word? Or are we upset because it makes us look bad? Is it really because they're going to suffer that we're upset? Or is it because we have now suffered? Because I, I went through all, I even told all these people that, and now they're going to think the guy didn't really get saved and, and, and it's going to make me look bad. And 
Yeah, I wonder sometimes. Preacher, you're such a blessing tonight. This is awesome. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The fact is that he sends us into a sinful world, doesn't he? We're to love the sinner. That's all there is to it. Jesus came to seek and to save the sinner. We're to go and seek and save the sinner. There's no doubt that we ought to be very acute to the sinner. Love the sinner. Not with our love, with his love. Number two, we're to love the sorrowful. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, the Bible says, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. We have a lot of dumb, but anyway... I said that fast. Some of you weren't listening, were you? <laughs> and cast them down at Jesus' feet and healed them. Oh, wait. He healed them. That's, oh, wait, he healed them. That's amazing. It's amazing. I'm always amazed when people start healing people and it doesn't depend on their faith. But anyway, that's a wonderful thing. Verse 31, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and the, they, they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now these three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away feasting, fasting lest they faint in the way. And Jesus had, he had a tremendous amount of love for the sorrowing, the hurting, the needy. Listen, it's not easy always to love the needy. And, you know, we all know somebody that's cheating the system. But hold on. There are usually reasons why people are on those systems. Emotionally, mentally, or physically. I'm not saying that it's right to be a drunkard and then go get Social Security. I think that's a mess. I don't think it's right. You chose a lifestyle like that, now you're going to have the world pay for you? I have a real problem with that. But hold on a second. As a believer, do I disregard them now? Do I throw them under the bus? Do I say that their soul is not as valuable as mine simply because they have chosen a path that, in my opinion, shows a lack of lack of yeah, let's say that judgment. That's nice. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hold on a second. In my flesh, a lot of the needy people that I see, I want to say to them. Got a job. Take some responsibility for your life. You know, in many cases, they probably should, but hold on. That's with my love. But his love is a lot different. See, he's not as worried about how their failure to work and provide for their own affects him. He looks at it and says, you're ruining your life. You're destroying yourself. You're harming your, your children. You're hurting your future. I look at them and say, you're ruining our, 
our nation, in a sense, financially. We're carrying your burden. You're raising a generation that's going to be dependent on social services. You're doing this and this and this, and it all affects me negatively, and I don't like it. You know what that is? That's my love. But you're not to love with your love. You're to love with His love. And so am I. That changes everything, folks. There's enough people in the world that get upset with people like that. They don't need us upset with them. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm going to tell you, we worry and we fret and we get all bent out of shape over so many things that really we ought to probably just let God have control of. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Lately, I have not dropped a dime into one of those guys' hands that stands with a sign that says, We'll work for food. I haven't done that in a long time. I've not felt compelled to. I've not felt led to. I've not felt directed to by the Holy Spirit. But if he told me tomorrow to drop a $100 bill in their hand, I'd do it. And I'll never have to worry about that because I never have a $100 bill on me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying now. See, it's not for me to determine whether or not they deserve anything. Because the truth is, I don't deserve anything. But too many times as believers even, we go around judging people and somehow coming up with our own idea of what they deserve. And therefore, they don't deserve the love that I have for my family. They don't deserve the love I have for my children. They don't deserve the love I have for my, my friends at church. Hey, at least I, I've got decency. No, no. That has nothing at all to do with God's love, though. God loves that man or that woman. No, he loves them as much as anybody in this world, and we ought to as well. That's all there is to it. It's His love. See, how much did He love us? Huh. Let me ask you a couple questions here. In James chapter 127, let me read this. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I want you to listen closely again. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. To keep himself unspotted from the world. Hold on. Pure religion then is marked by work done without hope of recognition or reward. You say, well, how do you come up with that? Well, the widows and the fatherless have no means to compensate the laborer. Matter of fact, they can neither pay nor promote anyone. Pure religion and undefiled before God is pure of selfish motives or gains. Much of what we do in the name of Jesus Christ is done for personal gain. Let me explain. Let me, let me ask you a series of things. We say things, we don't say this, but I think our mentality sometimes is this. I will serve the Lord because He will bless me. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's true that God will bless you when you faithfully serve Him. However, it is the Lord, is it the Lord you serve or is it the blessing? I'm just wondering. You, better be, you need to be really careful with this. I mean, do you labor for the Lord out of a debt of gratitude or a desire for gain? Well, if I just keep serving the Lord, then my children will be protected. Well, that's, that's selfish. 
Am I wrong? I mean, if I go to work, then I'll get paid. You'd say, well, that's about you getting a paycheck. That's not about just serving that, that employer. Your real goal is to get a paycheck. That's right. And that's what most of us serve God based on, a paycheck. When the blessings cease in your estimation, notice I said in your estimation, when you feel like the blessings have stopped or aren't flowing like they ought to, will serving God become a waste of time to you? Well, I'm not getting what I expected. So I'm going to stop giving. Stop giving myself. Stop giving my finances. Stop giving my time. Stop giving my effort. I mean, come on, this is a contract between two, two parties. You, I give and you give in return. That's how we treat God in most cases. And we wonder why we're tempted to walk out the door on God all the time, become castaways. We wonder why, having loved this present world, we forsake. Because the world has more to offer than God does at the time at least in our estimation. See, now we're preaching. Let me ask you, why do you sing in the choir? Is it so you can bring glory to God and lifting up the voice He gave you? Or is it, in a way, or is it a way that you can be in front of others and get a pat on the back from time to time? Oh, how about this one? Why do you help people? Because you wish to honor God and, and um, what in the world did I write? Oh, I, I wanted to say mirror and I said morrow. You can only imagine what I'm thinking, you know, bone morrow. But anyway, why do you, so, so why do you help people? Because you wish to honor God and mirror His grace and goodness? Or does it make you feel good about yourself? And thus meet a selfish desire to feel valuable and significant. Just wonder. Hey, why do you work on the bus route or in the Sunday school? Is it your way of honoring Christ with your abilities and, cease, and seizing an opportunity to invest in others and express the love of Christ to those in need? Or is it a way to fill a void in your life for love? I mean, every time a child says they love you, hugs you, or expresses their gratitude towards you, does your value meter soar? And that void to be loved, is it temporarily filled? I'm just saying, I think that most, much of the service that we do for Christ is often self-motivated. It fulfills a need in our life. Now, I'm not against serving Christ, but you ought to serve Christ because He loved you. And serve Christ because you love Him. Not serve the Lord to get something or something in return. You young people, do not fall into the trap of saying, if I serve the Lord and I'm faithful to God, then He'll bring Mr. Right in my life. He'll bring Mrs. Right in my life when I'm ready. No, that's not how it works. God brings Mr. Right or Mrs. Right in your life when He says you're ready. You need to be patient and wait on the Lord because there is nothing better in this life than what God has for you. But too many times we're really serving the Lord for a selfish means. Therefore, when things don't happen in our time, or when we expect them to, 
We get a little bit peeved with God. We won't say that to people. We won't say we're ticked off at God. We, won't, we will not say we're angry at God, but we'll act that way because all of a sudden now, we're a little perturbed. Preacher, I just don't understand. I've been giving my best to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how in the world could He allow this to happen? You didn't say it with a broken heart. You said it the way you meant it. A little bit aggravated with God. You know why? Because too many times we're not really loving God or serving God because of the love we have for Him or because of what He's done for us. It's because we expect something in return. So when we don't get it, we get a little angry. Hey, I went to McDonald's today and I had a $5 gift certificate. I don't know, I've just found it in my desk. I just happened to be digging through looking for extra money. I found that baby and I got excited. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I go to McDonald's, I always get, if I go to McDonald's, here's what I get. I get the, I get the, what's that? Not double cheese, because that's extra. I get the McDouble meal. Three bucks is all I'll spend. I spend $3 for lunch, max. Now, listen to me. I had a $5 gift certificate today. And I thought to myself, this ain't going to cost me nothing. I'm going to go there and get whatever I want. I went there, man, and I, I got in that line. I started looking at that thing. For the first time, I'm really looking at the board, you know, because I never look at the board anymore. I know what I'm getting. And, man, I mean to tell you, I saw, I saw something on there that I haven't had. I, I can't tell you. It's probably been two, three years. I saw a double quarter pounder with cheese. Oh, yeah. That's right. Now, that's preaching. That's spirit-filled. And I remember looking at that thing and I thought, I'm doing it. I mean, it costs even more than the $5, but it ain't cost me nothing. I didn't even know I had this $5 gift certificate. Somebody gave it to me. I don't know when, probably during a pastor appreciation or something. It just happened to be sitting there. I found it. Man, I was like, yes. And so I took it out. I also took that extra dollar. I think it was $1.40 or something crazy. It was like $6.40. I can't imagine spending that much money on lunch at McDonald's. But anyway, I did today. And so I took that $5, I took that $1.40, and I, I put it together. I handed it to the lady. I was like, yeah. And I stood there waiting on her. She was like checking it out. And finally she said, you're good. And I took off because she had to check to make sure that $5 was on there. Now, I had double-checked it before I went down there. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to look like a fool. And I certainly wasn't going to pay for it and not have that gift certificate for it. You know what I'm saying? That, that, the card. So I got to the window. They gave me my order. I got my Coke. I ran on up here to the church. I usually eat at the, the office a lot of times now. And I ran into my office. I was eating something there. I was getting ready for the nursing home. I didn't end up getting to go to the nursing home. I had to take care of something else. But nonetheless, I was getting ready for it. And so I, was, I opened it up. I got my fries. They were like some of the best fries I've ever had. I mean, they were good. I, I took that box out of there and I, I set it on my desk. And, and I just looked at it a minute. I reflected. I don't normally have a box. It's usually a piece of paper wrapped around a sandwich. And I took the box and I, I started to carefully open it up. I didn't want to shake it too much to lose any, any of the condiments or anything on the sandwich itself. And so I opened it up. I popped it open a little bit. I, I broke the back a little bit. I didn't want it to kind of, you know how sometimes it'll open up. And, you know, I, and I looked at it. I was like, yeah. I went to grab my sandwich and I put my hands, both hands, a double quarter pounder with cheese. I picked it up. It was a single. 
I set it back down and I had to... I mean, I had fully anticipated, I mean, sinking my teeth into a double quarter pounder with cheese and there it was, a single. You can only imagine my dismay. Immediately, immediately, I turned around in my chair facing my computer and began to search for McDonald's locally. Immediately. I couldn't find it. I tried two or three times for searching. I finally called the secretary and said, would you please find me McDonald's right down the street? In the meantime, I began to eat my sandwich because I had to eat something. Because I was getting ready to leave and I, 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 my stomach was a little bit unsettled. I had a little bit of drainage. I had a little bit of sinus issues, you know, with this, whatever they call these things now. You know, we got uh, allergies thing. Yeah. And so I thought, I've got to eat something. So I started eating that sandwich anyway and I thought, I'm eating it and I'm getting a free one. And I called over there and I, I, I finally got the right number and I called and, and, and the gentleman said, you know, uh, I said, uh, I just was through your drive through and uh, I ordered a double quarter pound of a cheese meal and uh, it only had one piece of meat on it. And he said, well, anytime, come on through. Just tell them so-and-so sent you and, and, you know, whatever. And I said, that's fine. Great. Thank you. I said, I did start eating it. I can't come down there. I'm busy. Oh, don't worry about it. Just whenever you come through. Now, I don't know if he told me just to ask for another piece of meat or what, but I'm going I'm to tell him. I'm going to tell him he told me to get a sandwich, a double quarter. I'm not buying no quarter pounder meal, remember. I only buy the $3 value meal. Well, listen, here's my point. And I'm almost forgetting it. Matter of fact, I just did forget it. Who cares, right? It was a great story. See, what was I talking about? Mr. Jurgen, help me out, would you? He's forgot too. I was. And as a result of it, I didn't get it. And what I do? The first thing I did was complain. Man, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm getting a double quarter round cheese. And although I can't do it down there now, but I'm going to get it. Because I, I had expected that. I had... Paid the money, I was looking forward to it, and it didn't come through the way I intended or expected. And boy, I'll tell you what, it bothered me. Listen, if we're not careful, we start expecting God to do some things for us. We act as though we deserve it or He owes it to us. Hey, I've paid my dues. Hey, I have invested my life. God, you owe me something! All of a sudden, we'll be sadly disappointed. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll turn from God and we'll start looking to the world. Before long, we'll be castaways. Father, we come to you. We just ask you, Lord, to help us tonight, speak to our hearts. and.